Dr. Abel, do you remain standing? And we're going to be reading 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The question I'm, I'm attempting to answer this morning, and a question I want you to ask yourself is, who is your God? So listen to Hannah's song as we read her prayer in song. And ask yourself, who is my God? In other words, know your God as we elicit our sister Hannah's help in finding more about our God. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This is the word of our Lord. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty man are broken, and those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have caused to cease to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his house in Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli, the priest. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that we would see great light from you in this passage. We pray that we would grow. Even as we hear your word proclaimed, we pray that your spirit be present to apply these words to our hearts, for asking Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. The greatest desire of the Apostle Paul was to know Jesus better. That's what he wanted, to know Jesus better. In Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11, the Apostle says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also counted all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ my Lord. That's what he had in mind. This is his desiring life was to know God, to know Jesus. That's what he left, he lived for. Paul, and Paul describes this desire as the normative experience of a Christian. A Christian desires to know his God, to know her God. That's just what it is. If, if you have no desire to know who God truly is, then you, you need to look at your heart and, and figure out, do I truly trust in, the, in Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord? Because wanting to know God, wanting to know Jesus is a necessary result 
of being redeemed by the Lord. Now, it's true that sometimes we may not act on that desire, and sometimes we might even try to suppress that desire, but it, it is there because it's a necessary consequence of having been redeemed by the Spirit of God and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Psalms, specifically in Psalm 34, we are commanded to taste God. And the, the language that uh, the psalmist used there in Psalm 34, 8, is the same language that you use of taking a bite of a fruit. And it's a challenge that the psalmist gives us. Taste God. Try Him out. See if what He's saying is not true. And as we read Hannah's song, we are struck by how she knew her God. I know if you follow along as, as, I, was, as I was reading, saw how much of God she knew. She had tasted of God. And she had tasted of Him deeply. And had seen that He was indeed good. Her song is a response to knowing who God is and how He works. And it, it exhorts us today to know who our God is, to taste Him, to, to, so that we may see that He is good. So may this sister who lived a good 3,000 years ago teach us this morning to know our God, to know who our God is, and to answer the, the question, who is my God? What led her to this prayer? What led her to this moment in Second Samuel, in First Samuel chapter two, to pray this prayer? Well, Hannah found herself in a very difficult family situation with Elkanah and Penina. See that in chapter one, verses one through eight. You remember that Penina uh, was having all kinds of children while she wasn't. You know, starts a bad home situation there with two wives instead of what the Lord had commanded. And uh, Hannah is, is barren before the, the and, and she is sad. The, the Elkanah tried, but he was just didn't have a clue. She can't, he, she, he came to Hannah and asked, Hannah, you have me. Why do you need a child? Let's talk about, you know, slap him at that point, um, not understanding the situation and thinking a little too highly of himself. She desired a son, a child, deeply, and yet the Lord had kept her barren through the years, while this other woman would keep kept on having babies left and right. And in faith, then, as chapter 1's continue, she takes her issue to the Lord, knowing that God is the God of the fruitful woman, but also the God of the barren woman, as she mentions there in chapter 2, verse 5. And she, remember, she comes and prays um, in the tabernacle at Shiloh, the point that she's so involved in her prayer to the Lord that Eli thinks that she's drunk uh, in, in, there because of the way she was acting and confronts her. And he says, no, I'm just praying to the Lord. And she asked the Lord for a son so that she could raise him for the Lord. So it's not just a selfish desire for a child. She wanted to raise that child for the Lord himself. And as she rises from that time of prayer in chapter 1 at the tabernacle, she left her prayer time knowing that whatever answer she got from the Lord was going to be a good one because it was coming from a good God. If you were to read chapter 1, it says that she, she, she got up from praying, went rejoicing to her family, and that's even before there was any answer to prayer. 
But she knew that she had laid all her anxieties before the Lord, and that the Lord cared for her, and whatever answer would come would be the answer that comes from a hand, the hand of a good God. And the Lord then gave her Samuel. And what we see here in chapter 2 is her giving Samuel back to the Lord as she had promised to him. So as chapter 1 ends and chapter 2 begins, we find the whole family back at Shiloh to worship the Lord as, as was their custom on the, the, annual, uh, the annual festival. And they're there to entrust Samuel to the Lord and she's worshiping God there at, at the tabernacle. If you notice that the, verse 1 labels it as a prayer, but it is written as a song. It is a, a Hebrew poetry. It is very similar to other hymns in the Old Testament. It's one of a few songs in the Bible sung and written by women. And we have in Exodus 15, Miriam's song. We, have, we don't think of it often that way, but we find in Proverbs 30, verses 10 through 31, which is the virtuous woman, that is actually a song sung by Lamuel's mother, as if she was uh, telling Lamuel, let me repeat this song time and again, so that when you come across a woman, you're able to figure out if this is a godly woman or not. So uh, the virtuous woman passage is written as a, as a Hebrew song. And then we have Mary's song in the New Testament that's become known as the Magnificat because of the first uh, word in the Latin translation of it. So it's not uncommon for women to come before the Lord in poetry in the scriptures, and we find that throughout the history of the church as well. It's interesting that at the very end of 2 Samuel, so the, the, the following book, in chapter 22, we have a song by David that parallels Hannah's song in chapter 2. As if the Lord had in mind, you know, this is going to be divided in two books, but I'm going to put these two uh, book ends so that you know to understand these two books as one. The stories go together. The technical term for, for that is uh, an inclusio. So each song is an inclusio, uh, making sure that everything goes together. Uh, in those two books. So let's take a look at the actual prayer or the actual song of Hannah. And notice that she, she starts by thanking the Lord. She says, thank you, Lord, for your deliverance. Look at verse 1, where their song actually starts and says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Now, it's very important to keep in mind that Hannah is in Shiloh, where the tabernacle used to be, in order to give her one and only son to the Lord. That's what she's there for. She's not going to see him every day anymore, perhaps once a year when they come to the festival. And yet, she is rejoicing in the Lord. And why is that? Well, it's because she knows her God. She knows the character of her God. She knows what he, He's done for her. She knows the covenant promises that God has made to His people, even in this early stage of the history of redemption. She knows that He's good, and that even in giving back that son to Him, He's going to continue to be, be, be good to her. She knows that God delivered her from barrenness, gave her a son, and she can trust that God is going to continue to deliver her. So let me ask you this question. Has the Lord ever delivered you? 
from anything. The Lord has delivered us from much more than barrenness. He delivered us from his wrath, if you're a believer. He has declared the guilt of your sin to be Christ's and the reward for Christ's obedience to be yours. He chose to pour the infinite wrath that was due your sin upon his son so that you could be delivered from an eternity in hell. He not only he delivered us from our sins, he delivered us from ourselves. We're no longer slaves to the flesh. We're slaves to the Spirit of God. He delivered us from the power of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. And he delivered us from the power of Satan. And he delivered us from the power of death. Death for us is no longer an end, but just a beginning. Death is the means by which you step into the presence of Jesus Christ and see him face to face. Death is the means by which God solves all the issues of your life. And you're forever able to worship him. So do we have reasons to be thanking the Lord for our deliverance? Yes. And, and she also is praying this way because she knows the Lord and she knows the results of God's deliverance. She says that she's joyful. She's rejoicing in her salvation. She is strengthened by the Lord. You said this mention of, of the horn there in verse 1, which the idea of, of the horn be exalted is the idea of you being strengthened, being empowered. And also she is rejoicing the Lord is going to vindicate her. She, uh, she's laughing and smiling at the enemies. And God vindicates His people. You know, it's, it, you go through life and all kinds of accusations are made against you. You're called this and that and the other thing. Uh, you're misrepresented. All this happening. You feel like you just want to defend yourself. Hannah's saying, don't worry about it. God, God has that taken care of. And that's what Paul says in Romans 12 when he says that... No, don't, don't seek vengeance, for vengeance is mine, the Lord says. Instead, just heap coals of fire upon people by loving them. Just love them to death, as it were, as it were you know, uh, there. And let God be the one that vindicates you. Uh, often, you know, uh, as elders and pastors, we're accused of stuff. And our, our practice has been, you know, the Lord knows. We're not going to start uh, some sort of marketing campaign to make us look better. The Lord knows. We'll just keep on staying faithful. And uh, at the end, oh, everything's going to be sorted out. And that's what He does for you too. He vindicates you. All His and our enemies will be ultimately conquered. You know, we, we, we may cry out like the psalmist in Psalm 13, How long, Lord? How long? Or like the souls on the throne, How long, Lord? And the answer is, At my good time, at my good time, all the enemies will be judged and all my people will be vindicated. And Hannah in her song based her joy and thankfulness on four things she knew about, about the Lord. See that in verses 2 through 10. She knew God's nature. That is, she knew who God was. See that in verses 2 and 3. She knew God's providential government of all things. She knew that God was in control of all things. See that in verses 4 through 8. And she knew that God treated His saints graciously. See that in verse 9. And she knew that God was going to establish His kingdom through His anointed king in verse 10. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of our time together. Look at these four things. 
She knew that God, she knew God's nature. She knew exactly who God was. Look at verses 2 and 3. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. She knew that God was holy. And for the unbeliever, that's terrifying. Because it means that you're going to be judged for your sins. But for the believer, it's an encouragement. Because... In His holiness, He's given us His Son that we might be holy as well. Do you realize that in the moment you believe, two things happen to you? The moment you say, in your heart, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, two things happen to you. First, God declares you to be innocent of any sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. That's called justification. So the, your, all your sins at that moment, the guilt of every one of your sins ever committed is laid upon Christ on the cross. But there's something else that happens at that time that we don't think often. At the very time, you also declare to be perfect in His presence. And everything that Jesus did perfectly on this life is counted to be yours. That's the doctrine of the definitive sanctification. At that point, before God, positionally before God, God sees you not just as not guilty, that's neutral, but positively righteous, the same way as Christ is. That's what your God has done for you, because He's holy. And holiness means not just only purity, but also otherness. God exists beyond creation. He's other than creation. And He interacts and intervenes in creation as one who is above it. He's not corrupted by any of this. And He doesn't need any of this. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, brings this, this other God, this transcendent God, the God that's beyond creation, and makes Him imminent, that He's present with us together in one person the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and man. And the idea of God's holiness helps us understand that God is not bound to the created order, nor is He in need of it for, he, for His existence. We hear so much today that how much, in the Christian church, how much God needs us. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. He, he was perfectly happy in eternity past before He created anything. He doesn't need you and me. So that even the fact that created us, that created us, when he didn't need to do that, actually exalts him and exalts our position in him. That he created people he didn't need to, so that he would love them and redeem them to himself. She also knew her God as one. You see that in the middle of verse two. She knew her God was one. And that means a couple things. It means that there are no other gods besides the true God of the Bible. Now, there are gods of our own making. We, we have idols in our own heart. And these gods of our own making are nothing more than ourselves. We're really good at worshiping ourselves. And Hannah says, no, there are no other gods except for the God of the Bible that's revealed to us through Jesus Christ, His Son. But it also means that there's no other God who will thwart the plans of God. He's the only one. No one can resist Him. No one can resist His plans. There's no sort of yin and yang between Satan and God. There's no star uh, balance of the force uh, in Star Wars between God and Satan. No one, no one 
can thwart God's plans. He will do what he wants to do. And that's just what it means to be God. If God cannot do whatever he wants, then he is not God. When we limit God, guess what? We're declaring we ourselves are God and not him. But it also means that he's unique. He's not like any other God we could conceive of. Our God is unique. We couldn't come up. We could not come up with the stuff that's in this book. He's unique. Uh, we, we are so used to it, that seems to be commonplace. But at the time that these things were revealed, they was unheard of anywhere else in the world. Why? Because our God is unique. He's this other type of God. And she also knew that he was strong. In verse 2, she tells us that. He calls God as our rock. A strong foundation. Protection. Unmovable. This is who our God is. We can build our lives upon Him. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Believer, who can be against you if God is for you? The answer is no one. So is there any reason for fear in this life? Is there any reason for anxiety? In this life, if God is for us, if He is our rock, if we're, if He's lifted us from the miry pit, if He's put us upon a rock, if He's given us a new song, what can happen to us? Somebody might kill us. We might die of a virus. And then what happens? We see Jesus. And that's the worst thing that can happen to us, that we are sent to see Jesus. And that's it. That's a blessed hope. Our God is strong. He is the mighty God, the one who is our high tower, who provides for his people. She also knew that God knew what was going on. See that in verses 3 and 4. She knew that God knew what was going on. She, she calls God the God of knowledge or the God who knows Nothing can be hidden from God, so there's no point in talking proudly. That's why she says, don't be arrogant. Don't talk greatly about yourself, because God knows what is in your heart. God knows what happened yesterday. God knows what happened on the way to church today. God knows the most secret thoughts of your heart. Don't be arrogant, because the only person you're deceiving is yourself, because God knows what is in your heart. This is a scary truth. It should be scary to you. If you understand this, this should be scary to you. But also, it's a freeing truth. Because it teaches us that we don't have to pretend being something else. Because God knows. We don't have to pretend about anything with God because He already knows what is in our hearts. You know, we, uh, the word hypocrisy or the word uh, uh, hypocrite comes from uh, an older Greek in, uh, word in, the Bible, in, in history that means masks. It's something that you put over, a facade. Because in Greek plays, it would be maybe one or two actors and a chorus playing all the parts. And so they would play different 
parts by putting a different mask on and pretend to be something else than what they really were. That's why in, in Greek, uh, in, in theater, you often said the two masks crossed. One was a smiley face for Greek comedy and one for, with a sad face for Greek tragedy. And then the New Testament authors adopted that word to describe a person who pretends to be something that he or she is not. That's a hypocrite. Let's not be hypocrites in the church of Jesus Christ because God already knows what is our heart. Often we come to church and what we do? We put a facade, we put a, our happy face on. It's like a, a depression, uh, depression medicine commercial, right? We have a little mask on uh, with a happy face, pretending that everything is great and our life is perfect. And, you know, when none of us, absolutely none of us are living that life. God knows. So when we come together as a church of Jesus Christ, let's just throw those masks away. I don't, I don't mean let's become a bunch of whiners. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but let's come in the reality that we live in a broken world, a world that's corrupted by sin, that we, are, we sin ourselves, that all our relationships are affected by sin, that we are suffering because of the world that we live in. And together, as a suffering people, Climb up by God's grace, the holy hill of Zion, and worship Him as we are in ourselves, but also as we are in Christ. And that's a, that's a m- much more freeing worship than having to pretend that we are something else, because God knows. And the amazing thing is that even though He knows what is in our hearts, He still receives and loves us because of Jesus Christ. We come before Him in worship as broken people. We come before Him in worship as perhaps discouraged because sin got the better of us, the best of us this week. We come before Him discouraged because of suffering that's coming in our lives. And yet, He doesn't turn us away, any of us, and says, Yes, I know what's in your heart. And I love you today, the same as I did yesterday, and the same I'm going to do it tomorrow. Because I love you through Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. She also knew that God was just. And so that you can relax, I realize we're running out of time. We're not going to cover all the verses. So relax uh, and enjoy the rest of the sermon. Or be convicted by it, whatever you you want to do. She also knew that God was just. Verse 3, towards the end, she says that. And this is another truth that's terrifying for the unbeliever. But it's a glorious truth for the believer. Uh, It is said that a famous evangelist said that uh, on on the last day, he would would cling to God's mercy. He He doesn't want anything to do with God's justice, only with God's mercy. Don't do that, believer. You want God to be 100% just on the day of judgment. You know why? Because it is, it is His justice that is going to welcome into heaven. Because He poured His wrath upon His Son as a result of His justice. And because He's just, He's not going to pour His wrath upon you as well. It is because of God is a just God that we enter into His presence. And that's why 
the apostle says, or Jesus through John says, he who believes in him is not condemned. Present tense, not in the future. You don't go through life where, oh man, am I going to be condemned or not? No, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're not condemned, period. You have eternal life, period, now. But, Jesus also says, he that does not believe is condemned already, unless you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he can shout with the apostle, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. When? Now. Because God is just. And lastly for today, she knew God's providential government of all things. See that in verses 4 through 8. She knew that God was sovereign over all things. If you look at it, verses 4 through 8, you have these pairs, these contrasts, that she's contrasting one with the other. And all these contracts are designed to show that God rights every wrong. Now, clearly seen in verse 5 with the barren having seven children, which is the uh, complete number of perfection there. Hannah found great comfort in the absolute sovereignty of God. It wasn't something she chided away from. It wasn't something that she tried to run away from. She found absolute comfort in the absolute sovereignty of God. The idea that nothing happens out of God's Control. Nothing that happens, a, not a breath that you take, not a hair that falls from your head, happens outside of God's absolute control. Paul summarizes that entire doctrine in one verse, Romans eleven thirty six. For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. What things are under God's control and sovereign control? All things. Things and what what is that? What does that lead Paul to do? Remember how the verse ends. To him be what the glory forever. Our confession says this in chapter three, paragraphs one and two. God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordained whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future, or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions." God ordained everything because He wanted to, not because He saw something that would happen. He's sovereign over angels, both both good angels and evil angels. He's sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over trivial events, the so-called chance events. He's sovereign over circumstances and affairs of individuals, but also of nations. He's sovereign over the free actions of people. He's sovereign over moral actions of His creatures, sinful and good actions. And this doctrine bothers people because it seems to make us puppets and God a villain because He also has ordained sin. But the Bible says that we are not puppets and that God is not a villain. He is good. Therefore, He's not guilty of sin. He's able to ordain even the sinful actions of, of people and yet not be guilty of it because He transcends this creation. He is good. And we are responsible for all our actions. 
Oh, Pastor, that's, can you explain that a little better? Perhaps. <laughs> not now. <laughs> I'm not sure how it all works at the end. Oh, uh, to hide behind Spurgeon, uh, he said to have, have been asked this question, how do you harmonize human responsibility with God's sovereignty? How, how do you bring them together? And Spurgeon is claimed to have, to, to have said that friends don't need to be reconciled. These are two rails, two truths that the Bible teaches. And somewhere in eternity, they meet each other. And sometimes we have to be satisfied with that because we are finite. And God is infinite. We're never, ever going to comprehend God fully. But that's what God says in His Bible. And I know that God planned things this way for His glory, which is the ultimate good. And that's why he says in Ephesians chapter 1, where he keeps on repeating himself, Paul keeps on repeating himself that he has ordained all these things for the glory, for the praise of his glory. And Hannah found great comfort in the fact that God, as the absolute sovereign, created all things and that he owned it all. It was all God's. I've just mentioned that she also found, uh, she knew that God treated his saints graciously in verse 9. That he acted according to his covenant grace. She knew that God was going to establish his kingdom through his anointed king in verse 10, decades before even the first king of Israel ever came, that his anointed was going to be the ruler of the world. In one of, as we finish here this morning, the sermon, in one of the visions in the book of Daniel, God's messenger describes the attacks of the king of the north. So Daniel has all these visions about a lot of it was going on between the Old and New Testament. And you have these, these attacks from the king of the north, which would be the, uh, the, the, uh, the Antiochuses that come from the north and attack uh, the south in Egypt. And, and Israel is kind of thrown in the middle. And he describes the, powerless, the, powerless, uh, the powerlessness of the enemy of the king of the north against those who know their God. In Daniel eleven thirty two. The prophet says, He shall seduce, that's the king of the north, shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Listen to this. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Is that you? Where are you today? Do you know your God? Have you come to know Jesus Christ by faith? And having believed in Him, have you then grown in His grace and knowledge? Our sister Hannah teaches us that we must know our God to whom whom to know our right is life eternal life eternal knowing our God through Jesus Christ is our only hope in life and in death so ask again do you know your God if not learn from Hannah to know this great God that we serve let us pray together Father in heaven thank you that you are a great God we thank you that you have revealed all that you want us to know concerning you in your Bible. We thank you that we have your word in a way that we can understand. Help us to dive into it, to, into it, to dig deep into it, to know who you are better. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.